we are in Job, Job 36. And what I had hoped to show you tonight is that this is uh, Elihu's uh, last speech and uh, or his last dialogue, I guess we could say. Uh, and it's a two-part, two-part dialogue, uh, chapters 36 and 37. So uh, let's take a few seconds here for spiritual preparation. You have the opportunity for uh, confession of sins. And uh, as soon as we have finished with that few seconds, then I'll open us in prayer. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. Dearly Father, we're thankful for the uh, success we've had so far uh, with the difficulty that uh, faced uh, the Bible class tonight. We pray that uh, as I explain where we are and what we're doing, that uh, it will uh, be clear. Therefore, we ask for God the Holy Spirit to assist us as we uh, continue our study in Job, beginning in uh 36 1 this evening and we ask this in Jesus name amen uh, let me ask you a question here the uh, can you hear me okay great I'm not here but I want to know if they can hear me okay all right all right we are in uh, job. Chapter 6, chapter 36. It's a little bit of a contraction there. Um, and what we're going to see here in Elihu's, Elihu's fourth speech, in his second speech, uh, chapter 34, Elihu, Elihu defended God's justice. In his third speech, which was chapter... 35, he championed God's sovereignty. Now, in his final speech, Elihu is going to speak of both of those attributes again. First, God's just God's justice. He'll also include his power. Uh, and uh, then of his sovereignty and his benevolence. Uh, in his dealing with man through nature. Uh, we'll have a great passage here at the end uh, as uh, Elihu addresses uh, climate, and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, in this way, Elihu it seeks to answer the some of the questions that the three friends had raised and accusations, and also uh, those that uh, Job has um, raised as well. Uh, our first uh, this this chat this uh, speech, as I said, is going to be broken into two parts. The first part is going to be Elihu's defense of God's justice 
and power in his dealing with man. And since you can't see uh, the PowerPoint, let me repeat that. This is going to be Elihu's defense of God's justice and power in his dealings with man. And this is going to be chapter 36, 1 to 25. And that will be the end of the first part. The second part begins in uh, verse 26 and will go to the end of chapter 37. But we'll worry about that uh, once we work our way through verses 1 through 25. The first sub-point to Elihu's defense of God's justice and power is Elihu's confidence in his own insight. Elihu's confidence in his own insights, or you could say his own opinions. And this is going to be the first four verses. So it's verses 1 through 4. Let's read those verses in Job 36. Job 36 says, Elihu also proceeded and said, Bear with me. Uh, That's a great place for us to start tonight. Uh, Thank you for bearing with us. Uh, Another way of stating stating that is, Be patient. So, Elihu also proceeded and said, Bear with me at a little, and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my Maker, for truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now, we need to identify uh, some of these uh, individuals. Um, verse 2 says, bear, or bear with me, or be patient with me, and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. Now, Elihu's comments, he claims here, uh, to be words spoken on behalf of God. Uh, and we must be careful that we don't claim to speak for God. We may um, repeat Scripture, but, of course, Elihu doesn't have that. But what he is saying is that he's speaking for God as if uh, he is a prophet. Uh, and I think he's going a little too far here. Uh, Verse 3, I will fetch. And the word here for fetch can also be uh, to carry or to lift. Uh, I will, uh, and I think maybe carry is a little better, I will carry my knowledge from afar, uh, meaning that uh, he has both, uh, that he has complete knowledge. He's taken it uh, close by and from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker, or we could say to my creator. Um, So I will carry my knowledge uh, to and from afar. Uh, The expression means that he will give a wide range of knowledge. 
that he will speak. Another word we may want to use here is he will speak comprehensively. The second line gives the essence of Elihu's speech uh, to give or to ascribe not, uh, righteousness to God uh, against the questions, uh, even maybe the challenges of Job. Uh, it's important to remember that Elihu is not the one enduring the affliction, and therefore he's not being compassionate, although he's not being as harsh as the three friends were. Uh, verse 4, For truly my words are not false. One, and I think there are those who believe this uh, to be a reference to God, uh, I think that Elihu is uh, speaking of himself. Uh, Elihu, who is perfect or complete in in knowledge, is with you. Uh, I think He's uh, listened to the three friends. He's listened to Job. And now he believes that having heard all of those, he now has a complete understanding of what needs to be said. A quick summary here. Uh, as Elihu began his fourth speech, he was so full of ideas to share with Job that he asked Job not to become impatient. He said to be uh, to be patient. He still had more to say in defense of God. So he uh, appoints himself as uh, the defense counsel for God. In self-confidence, Elihu said his knowledge was from afar. That is... He had a wide range of insight. In contrast, as he might be uh, inferring here, uh, inferring that Job does not have that range. Uh, Elihu has said twice, twice that uh, Job uh, is without knowledge. And therefore, Elihu says of himself that he has the knowledge. Uh, so we're going to see as we be, as we continue here, we're going to see uh, Elihu's first concern, and that is about God's justice. Uh, let's go to verse uh, uh, the second section here. We saw the first section was that Elihu's confidence in his own insights, one through four, and now. Our next section, subsection here, is God's just dealings with the wicked and the righteous. And this is verses 5 through 7. So this is God's just dealings with the wicked and the righteous, verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, Behold, God is mighty, but, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength, of understanding. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings, for he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. All right. First of all, in verse 5, behold, 
the word behold here is an expression that we'll see four times in this section. And behold has the sense of a special communication. And when he says behold, he's saying give me special attention. Uh, so behold, God is mighty but despises no one. A better translation there might be, but he does not despise uh, anyone. Um, So God has uh, a remarkable character, but in his character, he still uh, has compassion for others, we could say. He is mighty in strength of understanding. So Elihu expresses the character of God, his compassion, his love, and awareness of his creation. And we're going to see that as we continue in this chapter and into the the last chapter of 37. He does not preserve the life. In other words, he doesn't allow to live the wicked. He doesn't allow the wicked to live, but gives justice to the oppressed or to the afflicted. We'll see the word afflicted used several times in this chapter. So Elihu is saying God is compassionate, but his righteousness and justice are equally functional in his character. Um, we we must remember that uh, in his essence, every part of his essence, every attribute has an impact on the Lord's plan, his purpose. Uh, so uh, even though he is compassionate, even though God is loving, he still must apply his sovereignty and must apply his righteousness and justice. And so this is somewhat of what Elihu is saying. Verse 7, he does not withdraw his eyes. And I believe that this is an idiom for his omnipresence. God doesn't have any eyes. Uh, that would, But it's an uh, omnimorphism. Omnimor- uh, uh, God's eyes means he is everywhere. Uh, he's omnipresent. So he does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings, for he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. The phrase does not withdraw his eyes is a figure of speech for God's ever presence, his provision and his protection. Then Elihu says that God exalts the righteous forever, given places next to thrones of kings. Uh, Let's go to point three, sub point three, God's design in suffering. God's design in suffering. Uh, And this is... uh, to lead people to uh, repentance or confession. So God's design in suffering, to lead people to confession. And this is going to be verses 8 through 12. Verses 8 through 12. 
Let me read those. Verse 8. And if they are bound in fetters, and, and we'll have to work on these uh, pronouns, and if they are bound in fetters, held in cords of affliction, then he tells them their work and their transgressions, that they have acted defiantly. Verse 10. He also opens their ears to instructions and commands that they turn from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, then, and I add the word then, it helps us to understand this condition. Uh, if they If they obey and serve him, then they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. But if they do not obey, then they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. So point uh, uh, verse 8 here. And if they, and I believe this they, uh, even though it's not, in the text, it's not in the uh, the Hebrew text. It is added, and I think it's worthwhile. And if they are bound in f- fetters, and I believe that this is a reference to the righteous, because that's what we had uh, in verse seven. So, following that, if the righteous are bound in fetters, that is held in cords of affliction. All right, now. Again, we're in poetry, and a lot of uh, figurative language is going to be used. Uh, the verse does not mean that the righteous are literally in shackles, but affliction is merely an expression here. So uh, if they are bound, if they are uh, affected uh, by the uh, afflictions that they are receive it's as if they're being held uh, in sha- in shackles verse 9 then he god tells and i think a better word there would be reveals then he god uh, reveals them their work and their transgressions their deeds here is probably a reference to their righteous works, and then we have their transgressions, their sins. That they have acted uh, defiantly or proudly. So the the affliction here is designed to awaken those who are stricken by it. And that is what Elihu is saying. Uh, Verse 10. He also opens, he uncurls, uh, uncovers their ears to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. The idiom that we have here, uncovers their ears, means to reveal truth. And the word uh, to return, shuv, means to, uh, we would probably, in the Old Testament, it's often translated to repent or to return. Uh, We would use the phrase uh, to confess the sins and return to faithfulness. Verse 11, If they, the righteous, obey, Shema, and serve, Avad, our Hebrew words, 
and serve him, then they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures or delight is another word we could use there. Uh, The word for obey, Shema, it means to listen, to hear, to obey. Serve means to serve, to work, and it's even translated worship. The word for prosperity here is tov, and it would normally be translated good, but I'm glad it's not because it almost has no sense of meaning. Uh, Here it's been translated prosperity. The prosperity here can mean wealth, but it can also be happiness or goodness. So uh, they shall spend their days in prosperity or even pleasure and their years in delight. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they would be wealthy, but they would be uh, they would have happiness is another way of saying that. Verse 12, but if they do not obey, they don't listen, then they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. Uh, the phrase uh, perish by the sword generally means that they will die violently. There will be a violent death here. Uh, and they shall die without knowledge. Uh, without knowledge means either without knowing why they died or dying without the knowledge that God wants them to have. A knowledge that would bring them to the uh, pleasure, the delight, the prosperity that we saw in verse 11. Now, our uh, point four subpoint is the reactions of people to suffering. Point four again, subpoint is the reaction of people to suffering. And um, this is verses 13 through 15. Verses 13 through 15. Verse 13. But the hypocrites, but the hypocrites in heart, store up wrath. They do not cry for help when he binds them. Uh, this is a reference to God. They die in youth, and their life ends among the perverted persons. He delivers the poor in their affliction and opens their ears in oppression. So he delivers the poor in their affliction and opens their ears in oppression. Verse 13 here, uh, but the hypocrites. And another uh, way to translate this is the godless. But the godless in heart store up wrath. They do not cry for help when he binds them. And we've seen that the binding here. Uh, may not be and likely is not uh, literal shackling, but he binds them with affliction. Uh, the expression hypocrite here or godless, uh, godless in heart, is an intensification of the description. 
what it's trying to convey is that they are intentionally godless. So they are godless in heart, uh, meaning that this is, uh, we could almost take it back to a hardening of hearts. Uh, and then it says they store up wrath, they store up anger. Uh, this is usually interpreted to mean that they uh, they are um, they have an anger that has been building over a period of time. Uh, they have stored this uh, anger in their hearts. Uh, they cry for help when he binds them. They do not cry for help, uh, and very often uh, the godless when they uh, find themselves uh, afflicted in this, um, they, uh, first of all, they're resentful. Secondly, they're angry. Uh, uh, fourth, they are uh, uh, quick to lash out. They want to harm others. And so that's what is being described here. Uh, verse 14, they die in youth. And their life ends among the uh, perverted persons. Now, it's interesting. The translation here, perverted persons, uh, is also used in the Old Testament for uh, cult prostitution. And generally, they were male prostitutions. So uh, their their end and their life ends among those who are perverted. And I don't think it necessarily means that uh, uh, they are uh, in a group of perverted, but it's as if they were, uh, they were like the uh, perverted. Verse 15, he delivers, he delivers the poor by means, is a better translation here, in their affliction. He delivers the poor by their affliction and he opens their ears by means of oppression. So God rescues the afflicted because they come to him for help. The uh, godless do not come to God for help, but he delivers the poor. Uh, The poor here uh, could easily be translated uh, those who are afflicted. Uh, But God rescues the afflicted, uh, those who are afflicted, because they come to him for help. And the oppressed are drawn to him for help. Now, our fifth point in this section Our fifth point in this section is the reactions of Job to suffering. And this is going to be verses 16 through 25. So again, this fifth point, the reactions of Job to suffering. Verses 16 through 25. 16, indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place where there is no restraint and what is set on your table 
would be full of richness. Verse 17, but you are filled with the judgment do the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you because there is wrath. Beware lest he take you away with one blow. For a reason, for a large ransom would not help you avoid it. Verse 19, will your riches or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? The word keep there could be guard you from distress. 20, do not desire the night when people are cut off in their place. Take heed, do not turn to iniquity, for you have chosen this rather than affliction. Verse 22, behold, here is uh, Elihu using the word behold again. Behold, God is exalted by his power. Who teaches him? Who has assigned him his way? Or who has said, you, reference to God, have done wrong? Verse 22. Remember to magnify his work, of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. Okay. Verse 16. Verse 16. Indeed, he, and this pronoun is a reference to God. For he, God, would have brought or would have drawn you, would dry, uh, would dry, uh, uh, would have drawn you, Job, out of the mire. And the the mire distress here uh, is he would have driven you, uh, he would have drawn you out of the mouth of distress. It's as if he's being eaten by uh, a wild animal into a broad place where there is no restraint. I think restraint maybe is not the best word. Constraint is probably a better word, constraint. And what is set on your table would be full of richness, fatness. Now, the association of verses 15 and 16 implies that if Job had humbled himself, then God would have removed the distress set upon him, that he would have tranquility. He would be put in a tranquil place and God would have prospered him. So that's what we have in verse 16. <clears throat> Even though uh, he was uh, constrained, and that's the word or restraint here, because we've talked, uh, we've dis- we've used uh, <clears throat> the phrases, the figures of speech of being uh, bound, and so here we have this. Uh, restraint or constraint. He's removed from there. He's taken out away from that. We would say <clears throat> that he's no longer between a rock and a hard place. Uh, and what is said on your table would be full of richness. The word there is fatness, and that means that it is rich or it is, uh, <clears throat> there is much there, an abundance of food. 
but it doesn't have to be food. Uh, it can be uh, what he possesses in his life. In verses 17 and 18, we find a, con- we find a contrast to verse 16. Elihu <clears throat> says that Job is filled with resentment. But you, Job, are filled. Uh, another word would be preoccupied. You are preoccupied with the judgment due to the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. So, because Job is preoccupied with judgment, that would normally be for the wicked. And you have to remember that Job is enduring this, and he uh, understands the type of punishment or affliction that he's receiving, he would expect that to be found with the wicked. As a matter of fact, his three friends accuse him of being wicked. And so when we read this, uh, Job is preoccupied with the the judgment due the wicked. He doesn't understand it. Uh, And he says that judgment, therefore, Elihu says of Job, has taken hold of him, of Job. 18. Because there is wrath, uh, and the wrath here is sinful anger, uh, beware lest he, God, take you away with one blow for a large ransom. Uh, In other words, um, uh, a large ransom here wouldn't help you to avoid it. Uh, There's no way that he could pay his way, uh, have a ransom, uh, for the judgment that he's receiving. Uh, in verse 19, as we move on, we encounter another rhetorical question. And again, we anticipate uh, the answer to be no. Almost all of the rhetorical questions that we find in uh, the book of Job are going to uh, expect, anticipate an answer, an answer of no. Verse 19, will your riches or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? And the answer here, of course, is no. Uh, It will not keep him from that. Uh, Another translation could be, would your wealth or even all your mighty effort sustain you so that you will not be in this distress? in this uh, hardship. Verse 20. Do not desire the night when people are cut off in their place. Now, I have to admit that this verse uh, and uh, even verse 21 uh, is difficult Hebrew, difficult to translate. Uh, It's probably more of an ancient figure, uh, idiom, but do not desire the night. Uh, Job had spoken of the night back in chapter 3. Let's hold our position here. Hold your finger in Job 35, and let's turn back to Job 3. And this very well may be the reference. Job 3. In Job 
3, verse 3, this is the beginning of our uh, poetry, and it says, May the day, and remember, we're jumping in here right after uh, Job has received all of the disaster in his life and the affliction on his own his own body. And so he says in verse 3, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said, A male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. For as uh, as for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. So let's turn back to 36, verse 20. Do not desire the night. This is Elihu cautioning Job about longing for the night. And nighting, uh, 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 desiring, wishing, longing for the night means that he is uh, desiring death. And Elihu, remem- I think, remembers what Job had said. Uh, why? Uh, do not desire the night. Why? Because people are cut off where they are in their place. It means that that's uh, to to wish to die is in fact to be cut off to die. And I think that that's the sense here. Verse twenty one. Take heed. Uh, take heed means listen to me, uh, Job. Do not turn to iniquity. Do not. Uh, turn to wickedness. And that would be the sense of wishing for death. For you have chosen this sin rather than affliction. So Elihu here warns Job not to turn to this sin of desiring death, which he seems to prefer death rather than the affliction that he is enduring. This is what Verses 20 and 21 seem to be saying. Verse 22. Verse 22. Behold. And in verse 22, we see uh, our second uh, behold. Behold, God is exalted by his power. Who teaches him? The rhetorical question, no one. So the magnificence of God's creation exalts him, exalts God. No one can teach like he does, like God can, through his creation. We learn about God through his creation. Verse 23, who has assigned him, God, his way? Or who has said, you have done wrong? Again, rhetorically, no one. No one directs, controls, or corrects God. God is sovereign. 
He is omniscient and righteous. No one approaches God in any area or point of his character. God's character is perfect. And we fall um, so far short of that character. It cannot be compared. Verse 24. Remember to magnify, extol his work, his deeds, of which men have sung, uh, praised in song, we might say. So in verse 24, we are to praise God's creation, something that has occurred throughout human history. People have sung to the great, uh, the greatness of God's creation. Verse 25, everyone, meaning all humanity, has seen it, God's work, what God has created. Man looks on, he views it from afar. Um, we uh, can see God's creation, but uh, we are not uh, uh, near, we are not close to how God has created all of this marvelous um incredible uh, scenes around us. So we simply look on from afar. And now uh, we're going to work through uh, verses 26. We have a few minutes left. Verses 26 through 33 to the end of the chapter. And this is just an incredible part of this uh, of this chapter. And this is the beginning of the second half, uh, second part of uh, Elihu's last speech. Uh, the first part, I said, was uh, Elihu's defense of God's justice and power in his dealing with man. And that took us up uh, 36, verses 1 through 25. And now... This is the second major part here. Uh, Elihu's defense of God's sovereignty and uh, benevolence in his dealing with nature. One more time. Elihu's defense of God's sovereignty and benevolence in his dealing with nature. The first one was his defense of God's justice and power. This is... Uh, the defense of God's sovereignty and benevolence in his dealing with nature. And this is verses 30, uh, chapter 36, verses 27 through chapter 37 through 24. Of course, we're not going that far tonight, but what I would like to do is finish, at least finish chapter 36. So having referred to God's ways and his work, uh, verses 23 through 24, uh, which man sees from afar. Elihu then elaborated on God's doing in nature. And what we're going to see now in verses 27 through 33 is we're going to see uh, the, the rain storms that fall upon the earth, on man and on earth. It's often called the... Uh, the autumn storms. And for Israel, the 
uh, autumn storms are those storms which uh, help the uh, uh, the produce. So, uh, as we begin uh, Elihu's defense of God's sovereignty and benevolence, our first point is going to be God's sovereignty. So this is our first sub-point, and it's going to take us to the end of this chapter. God's sovereignty in the autumn storm, verses 26 through 33. All right. Let me read this. I think you'll see uh, how marvelous it is. Verse 26. Behold. So this is where uh, Elihu uses the third behold. Special attention should be paid to this. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. For he draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the midst, uh, mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds, the thunder from his canopy? Look, and this in the New King James Version is look, but it should be behold. This is the fourth behold. He scatters his light upon it and covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges the people. Peoples. For by these he judges the peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike. His thunder declares it. The cattle also concerning the rising storm. So we see even the animals are going to be involved in this section. Verse 26. Behold, God is great. And we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discussed, uh, be discovered. Behold, again, this is uh, verse 26. This is the third time we see it. We'll see the fourth as well. Behold has been used in this chapter. It's used to attract special attention. We would say, pay attention. This is important. God is great, meaning that God is exalted. He is superior in all of his creation. The word for great is only used twice in the Old Testament. Both times are used in Job. <clears throat> we'll see it in Job 37:23. Uh, and you'll notice he says, we do not know him, means that he is beyond our understanding. Since God has no beginning and no end. His beginning and his end is unknown and it's unsearchable. In verses 27 and 28, Elihu describes the hydrologic cycle, which constantly circulates water around the earth. Verse 27, for he, God, draws up drops of waters, which distill as rain from the midst. Now, uh, the words here for drops of water, uh, that's fine translation. But we can associate drops of water because that is how it's, we see it when it falls. It doesn't, uh, it's not evaporated as drops. 
but it helps us to understand what we're reading here in verse 27, which distills his rain from the midst. God uses evaporation to draw moisture from lakes, rivers, and seas. Then it condenses and falls as mist or rain or snow. Verse 35, uh, 28, which the clouds drop. Uh, another word here is pour, that pour down and shower abundantly on man. Uh, so uh, the hydrologic cycle begins with the evaporation of water from various places on the earth, but chiefly from the oceans. Uh, and it is uh, evaporated, and as it rises, it cools, it uh, condenses, and as it gathers around uh, pieces of uh, small particles of dust, it becomes too heavy to to uh, uh, remain uh, in the upper atmosphere, and it begins to descend. And that's the hydrologic cycle. Uh, and we need to understand that the cycle is a closed system, which means we don't lose or gain any moisture. Uh, there are some chemical changes to uh, water molecules, but not to the extent that a balance is disrupted. The moisture found in the earth system is a blessing for all uh, all creation. In verse 29, we have two additional rhetorical questions. And these are about clouds and thunder. Verse 29, Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds? Uh, and the answer there is anticipated no. The thunder, can anyone understand the thunder from his canopy? A better word there may be uh, his pavilion. Coming, The view here is that uh, God's uh, provision for the earth, for the universe, comes from God's, uh, we might say it, his home, from his throne room from his pavilion. Uh, uh, canopy is fine. The answer to the rhetorical questions are, once again, uh, no one can. Uh, at, the third, uh, at this time, that uh, at the time here that Elihu is writing, uh, what he's writing is inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Um, today, of course, we've learned more about nature. Uh, they simply didn't have the scientific advances that we have today. However, science today still does not know how to predict or understand the variation of moisture in the sky. Those who study uh, meteorology admit that they don't know what controls the amount of moisture in the sky from day to day. Sometimes it's uh, the heat, but what causes the heat uh, to be either uh, heavily laden, we would call it uh, uh, humidity, or 
uh, or not. And very often that is a mystery. Charles Clough, a meteorologist for many years, laughs when he hears detailed predictions of weather for more than a few days or maybe a little longer. He is famous for saying that we know that we have weather, mostly changes from season to season, but only generally do we know uh, very much about weather. Those who beat the drum for global warming regarding greenhouse gases are frustrated and wrong most of the time. Why? Because they have no way to predict and measure uh, moisture in the air, which is predominantly the fact in so-called greenhouse gases. Uh, Greenhouse gases, such as CO2, are essentially non-factors in temperatures. Uh, It is moisture that really uh, causes variances in climate. Thunder, of course, is the sound created by lightning discharges. The electric power produces by lightning uh, and reported by thunder is extraordinary. Here, Elihu is describing the remarkable rumblings that are heard but not seen. The sound of thunder comes from God's pavilion, from his canopy. In other words, God is the one who controls thunder. Verse 30, look, here we are, behold, he, God, scatters his light, and this is probably a reference to lightning, upon, uh, about him, uh, the King James says upon it, but probably a better translation is about him. Behold, God scatters his lightning about him and covers the depths of the sea. So this is the fourth time we've seen behold, uh, calling for special attention to what Elihu is about to say about God. God controls the lightning and it appears that he scatters it about him. God creates the seas. God created the seas, the oceans, and all the various tributaries. He covers them with an abundance of water. The amount of water is beyond our ability to measure it. And it is water that is truly a blessing for this earth. 31. For by these, water, lightning, thunder, he, God, judges the peoples. He gives uh, food in abundance. So Elihu says that God periodically uses the hydrologic cycle, precip- uh, uh, precipitation, lightning, and thunder to judge people. On the other hand, rain, dew, mist is a blessing from God, bringing an abundance of food or prosperity, crops, we could say. 32, verse 32. He, God, covers his hands with lightning. Uh, Again, this is an anthropomorphism. Uh, God does not have hands, but it's the description that is incredible here, that God covers his hands with lightning. In other words, 
as we sense lightning. Uh, its origination is from God. God is the creator and commands it to strike. God is in control of nature, and that includes lightning. He, we would, when we hear uh, thunder, we see lightning, we simply think that, well, this is a, a rather uh, simple uh, act of nature. This tells us that it is in the control of God. Elihu uses the figure of speech of God using his hands to command and to direct lightning strikes. How wonderful a description this is. And then verse 33. His, God's, thunder declares it, meaning the lightning. So God's thunder declares lightning. The cattle also concerning the rising storm. God's lightning is announced by the sound of thunder. We cannot always see lightning, but thunder reports that it is there. The word for cattle probably is a stand-in for animals. And animals respond to uh, storms. As a matter of fact, animals sense uh, the approach of storms um, very often prior to human beings. So animals sense the coming storm and they respond to the thunder in various ways. Uh, fear, uh, running, seeking cover, and very often voicing their anxiety. So this is uh, Elihu uh, declaring the sovereignty uh, of God. And if Elihu can see this from his vantage point, uh, we can see uh, just as much, if not more. Uh, We have detailed description of God's creation. And the more we learn about God's creation, the more we realize that truly this is a magnificent uh, and uh, unsearchable creation that God has given us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dearly Father, we're thankful for this chapter, chapter 36, next next week, 37. We are thankful, Father, for uh, the remarkable descriptions that we have uh, as it comes from Elihu. Of course, we must also remember that Elihu, in his uh, admonition of Job uh, is without full knowledge. And we're thankful for God the Holy Spirit providing for us a lesson that we have here. Um, God is in charge. God knows what, what's happening in Job's life. Uh, and Elihu, simply, <clears throat> instead of being critical, should be encouraging. And Father, help us to learn from Elihu and from his three, uh, the three friends and also from Job as he endures the, uh, the hardships because we know, Father, that uh, whatever happens in our lives is in your hands and is for your honor and glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.